Um, you cut out a little bit. What did you say? Kendra's frozen for me as well. Ashley, is she for you? I'm frozen, aren't I? Hi, this is Art Gab, and I'm Kendra Larson. Hi, I'm Ashley Larson. Today, we are excited to have artist Tatiana Ostapenko as our guest. Tatiana paints with oils while, and I quote, obsessing over the recent history of former Soviet Union and the daily lives of people who will never make it to the official history records. She was born and raised in Soviet Ukraine and currently lives in Portland, Oregon. She holds a BFA in studio practice from Portland State University. Tatiana's work has been exhibited at local and national venues, including the 5th Gyoje International Art Festival in South Korea, the Odessa Contemporary Art Biennial in Odessa, Ukraine, the Governor's Island Art Fair in New York City, and Cape Cod Art Museum in Dennis, Massachusetts. Her work can be found at tatianaostapenko.com. That's T-A-T-Y-A-N-A-O-S-T-A-P-E-N-K-O.com. Tatiana, welcome to Art Gab. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, how are you doing, Ashley? Have any any news, any announcements? No news or announcements. Just uh, getting ready for the holiday season coming up around the corner. How about you guys? How was your weekend? Busy studio work. Yeah, we we moved our our rooms around. It was it was wild. We like switched the studio with the bedroom, so we like, ugh, so much moving. So I did not get much studio time this weekend. It was kind of a bummer. What about you, Ashley? Did you go anywhere? Oh, uh, I was just gonna say it's nice to change up rooms, give a new perspective. Um, but yeah, it's like a new start. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I just did some Christmas shopping and um, I, we actually, Nick and I ended up getting a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> How cool. Yeah. I'm not into Nintendo, but now all of a sudden I am. So it's pretty fun. I can see why people like it. But. So how is the Switch different than others? It's kind of like old school Nintendo, but it's like handheld or you could play on the TV. You could play tons of games and... Kind of brings me back to uh, childhood of the original Nintendo. So it's a lot of fun. Do you remember saving up our money to like buy the Nintendo, Ashley, when it first came out? Yes, I remember we had the very first edition, which was really fun. We bought it with like nickels and dimes. My weekend was good. I am really sore, actually. I, I know I mentioned I moved the the. The two rooms, I switched the two rooms, but I'm really sore. I'm like, oh man, I, I I feel like I shouldn't invite all my friends over to see how much work we did. It's pretty incredible. Like I'm 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 sitting in our new bedroom. You guys want to see it, don't you? Nice. It's wild. So I did not get much studio time, and I'm pretty bummed about it. But at least I feel accomplished. Tatiana, you got lots of studio time. Yeah, I'm starting. It's the end of the year, but I can't just. I like starting things before things are over. I like to keep a momentum going. So I just stretch some seven foot canvases directly on my studio walls. I'm really ex- it's 
it's intimidating, but I'm really excited about them too. That's awesome. Seven foot. That's like inspiring. Now you got to like do all the painting. You know, it's somehow for me, the seven footer is more, it's always more exciting to go for the large stuff. And it feels intimidating at first, but when I start going, it's actually easier for me to work that large than to make little things. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, I like the unstretched canvas idea too, because um, there's an artist, a uh, local artist, you probably heard of Michael Brophy. Um, he does that. He puts up a bunch of uh, unstretched canvas. And and I think there's something about, he's well, he's really prolific. He shows at Russo Lee. He's been around for a while. and But I think that there's something about it, like, I don't know if you feel this way, but because it's unstretched, you could almost take more risks and like, <laughs> if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's not like it's on stretcher bars already. And it's, not, it's weird how that little bit, little extra step changes it. Um, it's funny, right? We're revealing our secrets because turns out the value of that painting is all about the stretcher bar, huh? I know. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? I really feel that way. Um, there's an object quality and a solidity to a stretch canvas. It's a thing that exists in a 3D world where no matter how large the canvas on the wall, it's more like a sheet of paper, you know, and you're less precious about your notebook paper or your sketchbook paper Mm -hmm. than you would be about this precious thing that is definitely going somewhere, right? If it's stretched, it must be a thing already. Mm -hmm. And this way I have a complete freedom to just treat these enormous canvases as if they're just notebook paper. And if something comes of it, good. If nothing, there's always more paint. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, we talked with Heather Goodwin um, a few weeks ago and like, if it's not stretched, it's easier to just tear up too. I mean, you could tear it into smaller canvases. That's what she did. I mean, she had these huge, they were like eight foot by six foot canvases and they're unstretched canvas. And she, yeah, she just quickly pivoted into these smaller, smaller pieces. I have a question about that. I mean, I don't, I'm not a painter. Um, to your guys's level but what's the importance of like making your own canvas you think as opposed to buying it pre-made and everything what are your guys's thoughts on that I definitely prefer painting on canvas that is purchased as a raw cloth Um, it's almost kind of a fetish level preference I really love the texture of it I really like the look of it Uh, I grew up around a lot of almost like Victorian lady handicrafts. I was taught embroidery and cross-stitch and lace-making and all these things. So there's something about it that harkens back to this home-woven cloth and, again, more women's craft. Even though I don't end up showing a lot of the canvas texture in my painting, sometimes I do. So I use clear gesso, so clear primer occasionally. So to show that unbleached cloth quality with the painting Um, also it's just so much more durable and it's so much higher quality than anything I mean maybe there are some better brands but anything that's generally available in the art or craft supply store as a stretch canvas especially if it's larger I wouldn't trust a large painting on stretcher bars that somebody else made 
there's also a surface quality that's very different. Kendra, what about you? Do you have a preference? I mean, I think there's benefits of both. I, I, I enjoy the process of making my own stretchers and stretching the canvas. And there's something like, um, for me, it's about the process more. Like, I like, um, I like the objectivity of accomplishing a stretched canvas because paint, the painting process has so many unanswered questions, whereas stretching a canvas, there's a clear goal. Um, but consistency, you know, it's, it's definitely a lot easier to order, you know, 30 pre-stretched canvases or pan or pre-made panels and have them look exactly alike because they've been made by a um, machine. <laughs> so, I mean, there's pluses and minuses, I think, with both. And I've kind of used both. Um, I think you're right, though. The larger canvases, I would never buy them pre-made. Yeah, I also use smaller ones all the time. There is no way I'm, I have repetitive use injury on my painting hand from painting. So I am not wasting my precious wrist and finger ability on pulling canvas all the time. So that's why, that's another reason why I paint flat, because that way I don't have this friction at the beginning, right? This entry, barrier to entry for starting a large piece, because it doesn't mean that I have to go through this long process that actually hurts my body. But I paint on, all the tiny ones are on pre-made canvases and they're perfectly fine, but the large ones, no. Yeah. It sounds kind of like, like wigs, actually. Like the, the, like, you could get really cheap wigs, but they're not, they're not the quality of hand sewn wigs, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting hearing, hearing your guys' answers. I mean, there's always something about making it from the, the very beginning, from the very start the process too I'm sure is big too um but yeah that's interesting I like hearing about that um but Tatiana do you want to describe uh what you do and who, what, who you are and everything oh that's always oh that's such a tough one I can talk about other things so easily and about myself is it's a challenge so I'm a painter I didn't start painting until I was in my early to mid 30s. I did a lot of other things before that I think informed my work. Perhaps, perhaps not, but you know, I traded futures in the stock market. I was a bartender, I was a Russian English interpreter. I did all kinds of things while always secretly wanting to be an artist. And then finally, I decided it's now or never. And um, a lot of times I've had feedback about my work that. Now, I've been called a visual storyteller, especially by the literary folks. And I can see how there is a definite narrative element to my work. However, for me, the place that I paint from is definitely more focused on conveying emotion and a sense of a particular time and place. I was born and raised in Ukraine, and I lived through the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the rise of the new newly independent state. And that process was fraught with a lot of economic and political turmoil and also enormous societal changes. And I feel like those formative years and the trauma of that extreme change definitely informs and drives my art practice. 
beyond just my love for paint. Paint is just wonderful and delicious. And there is, but it's both. The content for me matters as much as the painting process and the process of discovery while painting. And I would say that generally my paintings are in equal measure a wistful childhood memory as well as a critical reflection and inquiry about the existing traditions of that place that I'm from. And there's usually not a small touch of irony and absurdity in the mix. Okay, I'd love to know more about the two paintings um, that we have in front of us. Uh, Is there a sense of irony or absurdity in either of these? Um, good question. I think we've chosen the paintings that don't really touch upon those qualities as much as they do the wistful longing and the gentle probing of the tradition rather than the overt critical inquiry. Sorry to spring that question on you. <laughs> um, but you know what? It's actually really good because when I was thinking about that answer for you guys, I realized that a lot of my recent output does not, because of 2020, mm-hmm. I realized that in 2020, I've been making a lot of brighter colored and kind of smaller and joyful and awesome paintings because I just felt like the world outside was already grim enough Uh, but I in the recent the large canvases that I am stretching right now and I already started painting on it definitely goes back into the critical reflection but it still has for me there's always this polarized experience of something that's that I can feel longing and repulsion at the same time I can feel I can be nostalgic even perhaps for something and then fully realize the problematic nature of the thing itself. Right. That makes sense. So you touched on a little bit about the color, but do you think the pandemic has has changed that in any other ways or, or your process? I think for me, the pandemic hasn't really changed my studio practice as much as my social interactions around my artwork and my art business and actually it's been very positive for me because I am an introvert to an extreme and the pandemic has been a horrible challenge for all of us yet the benefit that it's been for me is that it put more people on my wavelength so to speak for example more folks are open now to having a zoom meeting I have organized work groups that I have not been able to organize before because, as you guys might know, organizing artists is like herding cats. It's not exactly the easiest thing to do to get them all together in the same place. But I think, again, it removed this barrier of getting together because it's so easy and immediate. So this morning before recording this podcast, I had a writing group and all it is is just butts in the chair commitment to sit down and work on your studio writing practice and it's so supportive and it's so wonderful and before the pandemic I also always had artists come and work with me in my studio we were not collaborating on projects in any kind of way everybody was working on their own whatever it is 
Some were painters, some were not. But I really thrive on this open studio, collaborative kind of hearkening back to art school environment. I think it's so nurturing and fertile. So I've been hosting meetings like that via Zoom. And we can take breaks where before, you know, it would be a tea break and we sit back and we look at what each made and we can give feedback if wanted or not, where now we just exchange pictures or look on Zoom and can have that immediate camaraderie and experience of making in real time. And I just think it creates a lovely energy that for me has been great because it's much easier to get folks to turn on their Zoom or FaceTime than to actually coordinate real life meetings pre-pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, as bad as it's been with the pandemic, there's some great things like that that have come out of it. Um, We've all learned how to use Zoom very well. (laughs) And um, it's a, being introverted, it's a great way to find new ways to reach out to people too. Um, But like, if you had to choose a superpower, this is kind of like our next question that we're always very curious about. Um, if you could choose any superpower, what would it be? I don't think my superpower would really have anything to do with art, though. I am a, a real bleeding heart environmentalist. And I, on the other hand, I'm not that good with science and especially chemistry. So forgive me, all the science people that are listening right now, if this makes no sense. But I, I want to be able to like transfigurate, to use Harry Potter <laughs> terminology, all the toxic things that are not working within our environments and are harming both people, animal, and the general ecosystem and just make them into things that are not harmful. I just want to be like recycler superpower, not recycler, like re- but more than just recycle, like really, truly make not harmful. That's it. I want that. Can I have I like it? That. Yes. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> oh, man. And, and like... I'm constantly seeking out alternatives to plastic, things wrapped in plastic. And if you had your superpower, superpower, then I wouldn't have to worry so much. That would be so great. I was just going to say, can I like alternative to plastics? I saw online somewhere someone was making paper, like blended the recycled paper up and then mixed seeds in it. And then like you could wrap a present in it and it's like paper recycled paper with seeds in it and then you could go plant it. I thought that was really kind of a cool idea. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, that's a really good superpower, Tatiana. Like, yeah, I like that. Um, uh, okay. The next question, (laughs) what superpower do you already have? I make Korean grandma approved kimchi. Like an old Korean grandma said that this kimchi was good. And I, I really like my kimchi, but having a real, you know, having a real expert confirm that it's good. Yeah. So fermentation. Oh man, that's great. What's the key? So, so what's the secret to it? I don't know. I think it's my hands. I'm not kidding. Because I've had other people make it with the recipe. I'm like, there's no recipe. It's just like this, this, and the other, put it together. And Mine is better. I don't know. It's the alchemy of it. Maybe maybe you're translating the alchemy involved in painting into the alchemy of fermentation. You have the energy field for it or something. I think the, it's kind of it's I think it's from that realm, you know, unless there's like specific <laughs> bacteria on my hands that I didn't wash well enough and it just works together. But I think it's it's the energy. 
I like that. And you got the seal of approval from an expert. So there you go. Um, so I kind of want to go back to these two pictures of yours. Um, I was just going to make a comment and I don't know if it's in a lot of your work, but you have a very good way of portraying light, like looking at your two pictures. I'm just like, Oh, it's, it's very well lit. Like, I feel like I'm there at the table with them or like the shadows are just so well done. So I don't know if that's a big part of your work is like portraying light in the way that you do and the light coming through the tablecloth I love that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah be still my heart this is like one of the best compliments that I could receive I love it thank you so much Ashley um I really love that quote from um I love a lot of Edward Hopper quotes I really feel a kindred spirit there but I love the quote about that all I really wanted to paint and I'm paraphrasing all I really wanted to paint is sunlight on the wall. And I'm like, dude, you did it. Like, you got that sunlight on the wall. It's good. Um, the, the quality of light is very, very important to me. I think it, ha- it goes back to that idea of the specificity of time and place. And also, I'm very interested in things that are ambiguous and unclear yet lit very brightly it's back to again the the polarized and the dichotomous things you know because for example a nightmare is usually we associate a nightmare with something very dark and ominous and you can barely see but it's the fact that we can't see very clearly that's scary a lot of times what about seeing something having the bright light shine on something that is still very ambiguous and undefined that's kind of yeah it's a thing that I think about a lot kind of all the time actually yeah gosh yeah I love that it's very it's very nice it just brings your paintings to life for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and because they're like the figures are slightly ambiguous too and the light is so powerful it really becomes for me more universal like and I don't know if that's a a good thing or a bad thing in in terms of your goals but like how you depicted that the pic the the people sitting outside at the table like it it reminds me of a sp- specific place in time in my life too i think that's really lovely because i just really believe in working just the way a writer would norm you know generally in writing would be advised to write about things that you know know well know intimately well and I feel the same way about painting. And despite the fact that I've lived in the United States for 22 years, somehow that visceral lived memory and the visual that's really etched into my mind is all from back where I'm from. So I use these images from Eastern Europe, from post-Soviet spaces, because I feel to a degree a sense of, if not ownership, but a right to use them as my images. But then... I don't think that I speak about issues and ideas that are only pertinent to that place in the world or that time. I think, especially right now during the pandemic, they're quite relevant and can feel familiar and apply to those of us who are living here in the West. So you mentioned over the weekend, you got some canvases ready. Um, 
So what is next for you and what are you excited about? I want to say that I'm excited about those series that I'm working on. However, the subject matter is very emotionally challenging for me. So I'm excited that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yet there's a lot of there's a lot of internal resistance and pain while I'm working on it. What I'm really excited is the next when our wet season here in the Pacific Northwest is over. And um, I really hope that I will be making more murals this summer. Once we can paint outside, I was fortunate enough to be invited to a community mural project last year. And I created, I don't know if our viewers will have access to these images, but one of them is kind of a steady, sturdy Eastern European grandma, Babushka, standing in an open field. And she's a part of a series of these large scale canvases that I was able to create a painting like that on a large wall in Southeast Portland. It's 10 by 18 and it's Russian babushkas in an open field. It was a delight. I've always wanted to do something like that. So I hope that I will be able to make more in the coming year. That's my big excitement. Very nice. I love that. Did you want to talk about the babushkas a little more? Like, do you, um, do you know these people or is it more of just the idea that you're interested in? Like, are they specific people or are they more of a symbol of something for you? They're definitely a collective image and they represent to me the, a specific generation, perhaps a generation that would have been like my grandmother and um, the ones who have basically lived through the entire history of the Soviet Union. They might have been born at the very beginning of it, but that means they've also survived not only everything that has gone on through that horrible regime within the country itself, but also the place that I'm from was under Nazi occupation. And all of my family was directly affected by the World War II. So it's a generation that has lived through such enormous adversity. And they... I feel like there has not been any enough acknowledgement of that struggle is not even the right word, strife, <laughs> terror, that people have survived. And this can get very lengthy and long-winded because the gender disparities and the gender roles yeah. of the, you know, everything in Eastern Europe, including the place that I'm, again, this could be, really, really long. I mean, I could see that complexity in in your images of these women. They're definitely strong looking people, but then there's a femininity and I mean, you could see the history kind of built into their faces, I think. And I think I like to probe that femininity because I feel like it is extremely imposed and it's held together by the tradition that was never questioned. And that is the part that I mourn so much for that generation is that they were just cast into roles. Mm -hmm. And then not only was the society never supportive of deviating from a prescribed role as a woman, but then the level of challenge that they have encountered has cemented it definitely. So what is it easier to work in the field in, in a skirt or in pants? Right. 
you will never see a woman of that generation wearing pants. And on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. It's a very um, rich, interesting history. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, that brought up a lot, like, um, one of the most memorable classes I ever took in college was about Eastern, Euro- Eastern Europe and the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the history in the 80s. And um, it's just very interesting. I just, it's very interesting and I love to learn about it because there's so much to learn about it. And just cultural wise, it's really interesting to me. There's a really cool institution there in California. It's called the Vende Museum, spelled with a W because it's a German word. Um, it's called, I, I think the word means, oh God, forgive me. I think it means either freedom or openness or movement. I only have associations. I don't have the translation. But they have an amazing collection of Soviet and so- Soviet Union as well as Soviet satellite states art artifacts both official you know because it was very much state sanctioned art and artists only um, as well as the underground artwork production and um, there's definitely more right they focus a lot on the time around the fall of the berlin wall and they have weekly they're not pod more like webinars lecture series with a variety of researchers from anthropology to sociology economics who work with that part of the world and the history mm. around the fall of the Soviet Union and the satellites, or not fall, the change. It, fantastic content. I love them. They're so great. So highly, if it's an interesting yeah. area for you, I highly recommend yeah. them. Yeah, I'll find their website and put it on our, our podcast because, yeah, I mean, I think that's really fascinating too, just how people remember, how different cultures how much they value remembering and how much they care about like upholding traditions, you know, I feel like, I feel like each, each part of our country, each part of the United States has a different approach to remembering things too. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, just even looking at just a couple of paintings, it's like, you definitely see that history brought through too. Um, especially that big mural that you're painting. It's, and then you bring up the fact that you'll never see them working without wearing a dress. It's like that's a cultural thing that being growing up in the United States, I might not have seen that or experienced that. But you bring a lot of um, your history, too, to it. So um, do you still. So when did you move to the United States? Is it 1998? Do you still have family over there? or It's complicated. Yeah. But I don't have a really large family. It was very common to have very small families. So I was the only kid, for example. And when I came to the United States, everybody was like, oh, wow, you must be spoiled. I'm like, what? No, we had a tiny apartment. Three of us lived in the same room. No, we didn't have another kid. There was nowhere to put another kid. (laughs) (laughs) You must be spoiled. Oh, man, people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is an interesting perspective. I would have never occurred to me to think that because everybody else I knew and grew up with was the only child and spoiled was not the word that would come to mind. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see your murals coming up and I I can't wait to see more of your work. Are there any other questions that you two have or anything you want to add before we wrap it up? Oh, a shameless plug-in. If anybody wants a mural that looks like the paintings that they're seeing on this <laughs> podcast, 
hearing about on this podcast, I am more than available. We well, are I very- do love to paint on your wall. <laughs> you so uh, we we gave everyone your website, but do you want to? Uh, do you have a specific email address you want me to say, or you want to say tell everyone? Oh, it's contact at tatianaastapenka dot com. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> yeah, we are very pro um, mural. Mural, like we need to find some blank walls and fill them up with art. So yeah, I feel like every podcast we mention how much we love murals and how much. <laughs> We want more murals everywhere. Yes. Um, well, and if you need assistance, let us know. That's wonderful. If anybody knows of a wall that's available, let's put some <laughs> art on it. Do it. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Tatiana. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and lovely questions and wonderful feedback. I really appreciate it. And thank you for this project too. It was really great. Yeah, thank thank you. Oh, and did you want to uh, plug your your podcast? By the way, you have one too, right? It's not really mine. Okay, then we won't mention it if you don't want to. I I'm just, I mean, I'm a regular co-host. Um, let's just let's not give them too many let's not give them too many calls to action. I'm much more interested in like get me a wall. Yeah. <laughs> listen to this podcast sign this petition <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. i'm like yeah. no no petition i just want a wall wall i'll even raise the money for the wall just give me the wall let's do a build a random wall like on the side of the road that'd be great i love it <laughs> we can just like take a couple of sheets of plywood and like put some two by fours behind it stand it up and be like mural done oh you know what we should do you guys is find someone that has a uh semi truck and just like paint murals on it and drive around but then the environmental part of that wouldn't be very great you could park it a couple places so i live right next to um so i live off of 82nd southeast 82nd and i live right behind one of the large larger grocery stores asian grocery stores here and they have i don't know if they're permanently like their refrigerated semi whatever you call it, the the trailers, right? Refrigerator trailers that sit there or do they change them out, you know, as they get deliveries? I don't know. But there's always like a couple of semi-trailers sitting in the back of the pong fat. So maybe maybe your answer is a blank wall or a semi. We'll add it to the list. (laughs) Anything, a flat surface that is publicly visible. Yeah. If it's a semi, we could... um... We could like provide, you know, coats or something to the homeless. We kind of, you know, it's a whole other thing, but (laughs) a whole other or some or art supplies. We could we could fill it with art supplies. That's that's even better. That kind of fits. Are there any? Yeah. Anyway, right now also like in Portland murals, it can go so many different directions. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, well, thank you. And um, you, you could all follow us at stumptowncreative.com forward slash art slash gab. You could also find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Instagram at artgabpdx. <laughs>